As we open God's word to read it and hear it proclaimed, I invite you to pray with me. Let us pray. We give you thanks, O Lord, for the hope we have in Jesus, who died but is risen and rules over all. We praise you for his presence with us. Because he lives, we too look for eternal life, knowing that nothing past, present, or yet to come can separate us from your great love made known in Jesus Christ. And so on this holiest of days, we pray that as we open your word that is given to us, that the risen Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will open its wisdom to us, that we might catch a glimpse of your glory and truth and be drawn more closely to you. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from the 12th chapter of Exodus. It comes at the end of the 10 plagues. So listen now for the word of God to the church on this Easter morning. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year-old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. This is how you shall eat it, your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. Our New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, 
But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When Mary Magdalene, Simon Peter, and the disciple whom Jesus loved came to the tomb that first Easter morning, John's text says that they saw the clues that had been left behind. The stone rolled away, the tomb standing empty, the linen wrappings in a jumble, the burial shroud folded and rolled neatly. They could see that the body of Jesus was gone. They confirmed that what Mary had said was true. But, the scripture says, as yet they did not understand. Jesus had made some cryptic statements over the past week. A little while and you will no longer see me, he had said to the disciples. And again a little while and you will see me. But they hadn't known what he meant and in the Easter dawn... They still didn't know. Jesus had also told them that he would be with them only a little longer and that where he was going, they could not come. But then he added that he was going to prepare a place for them and that he would come back again and lead them so that where he was, they could be also. But as yet, they did not understand. So for the disciples, Easter began as a mystery. 
Scattered clues pointed in a number of directions and could support a number of theories, but none of them stood on firm ground. And while some questions were answered when the risen Christ appeared to the disciples, huge questions remained, questions that many of us are still asking. How did Jesus accomplish the seemingly impossible task of returning from the dead? What happened in those days between his death and his resurrection and reappearance? How was the work of atonement accomplished? Was his death a priestly sacrifice? Did he pay a debt? Was his victory a defeat of death or a defeat of sin? How can God and humanity occupy the same life? Wouldn't his humanness destroy his divinity just as his divinity would have swallowed up and negated his humanity. What did Easter mean in the beginning, and what does it mean today? Like the Easter disciples, we can see, we can even believe, but as yet there is much that we do not understand. It's no wonder that the early church from the very beginning referred to the events of Easter as a paschal mystery. The word paschal comes from the Greek word pascha, which itself is a transliteration of Aramaic and Hebrew words that combine to mean Passover. So it clearly refers to the passage from Exodus that we read just a few moments ago, when God spared the Hebrew families from the plague of the death of the firstborn, passing over those Israelite houses where the mark of the blood was found on the door. The paschal mystery of Easter recognizes that these miraculous events from the pain of Good Friday through the glory of Easter Sunday are the ultimate expression of God's passing over of humanity's brokenness and darkness. And it also recognizes the most wondrous miracles of Easter, that these wondrous miracles are also the most vexing mysteries of Christianity. That the details of how Jesus did what he did, why Jesus did what he did, and exactly what was changed by Jesus doing what he did, all of those questions are still shrouded in uncertainty for us. These answers to our biggest questions remain divine mysteries that ultimately rest on knowledge that is too wonderful for us, knowledge that is so high that we cannot attain it. So it should not surprise us that throughout Christian history, Easter and the Jewish observance of Passover have been closely linked. During the second century, the Bishop Melito of Sardis in modern-day Turkey wrote these words about the paschal mystery of Easter. Beloved, therefore, understand this, how the mystery of the Pascha is both new and old, eternal and provisional, perishable and imperishable, mortal and immortal. It is old with respect to the law, new with respect to the word provisional with respect to type, yet everlasting through grace. 
it is perishable because of the slaughter of the sheep, it is imperishable because of the life of the Lord. It is mortal because of the burial in the ground, immortal because of the resurrection from the dead. To put it in more modern language, Norman MacLean's famous work, A River Runs Through It, concludes with a sermon he once heard preached by his father, the Reverend John MacLean. That sermon was a painful recollection of the death of Norman's younger brother, Paul. If you've seen the movie, you will remember that Paul was a study in contrasts, a mix of beauty, skill, scientific precision, and artistic genius on the one hand, but also brokenness, addiction, and self-defeating blindness on the other. Paul had been deeply loved by his family, but he also remained a mystery to them throughout his short life. And so it is those we live with and should know who elude us, Reverend McLean concluded. But we can still love them. We can love completely without complete understanding. To love completely without complete understanding, that is our goal on this Easter Sunday. Over the years, we as human beings have worked pretty hard to escape mystery and to solve the mysteries of this world. And science has gotten pretty good at it. We understand so much more than we once did about life and death, about disease and health. And we continue to make new discoveries about the universe and the forces that drive it and about our minds and inner lives and the emotions that drive us. And we continue to live in an age of discovery. We are still on a relentless quest to answer the great questions of existence. But in the life of faith, we are also called to leave room for mystery. In believing that a creator and sovereign power is behind everything that we see and experience, we concede that some wisdom some knowledge, and some explanations are simply above our pay grade. This is not a function of laziness or frustration or lack of perseverance. It is rather an act of trust that the God of Easter is working for us, defending us, supporting and encouraging us in ways that we cannot fathom. In faith, we recognize that there is a distance that separates us from God and separates us from one another. And we look to God to bridge that chasm and carry us across it because we have learned the hard way that we are not able to cross it by ourselves. With grace and love, God freely offers us this help And we are called to accept this gift without having to know everything that is in the mind of the triune God who offers it. We do so with faith in the conviction that in Christ, in the end, 
everything ultimately works together for good for those who love God. In short, the Paschal mystery calls us to see, to believe, and to love completely, even without complete understanding. As Presbyterians, we embrace this uncertainty as a key aspect of faith. For example, in the Confession of 1967, a statement that guides our discipleship and our understanding of Scripture, we say, and I quote, that God's reconciling act in Jesus Christ is a mystery which the Scriptures describe in various ways. This mystery is called the sacrifice of a lamb, a shepherd's life given for his sheep, atonement by a priest. Again, it is ransom of a slave, payment of a debt, vicarious satisfaction of a legal penalty, and victory over the powers of evil. These are expressions of a truth which remains beyond the reach of all theory in the depths of God's love for humankind. They reveal the gravity, cost, and sure achievement of God's reconciling work. Or to say this more poetically and more anciently, we can turn to the writing of Melito of Sardis one of the first to recognize and embrace the fullness of the Paschal mystery, the passing over that was completed by the risen Christ, whom we are called to love completely, even without complete understanding. These are the concluding words of his ancient poem. Christ is all things. He is law in that he judges He is word in that he teaches. He is grace in that he saves. He is father in that he begets. He is son in that he is begotten. He is sheep in that he suffers. He is human in that he is buried. He is God in that he is raised up. This is Jesus the Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever.